As a fundraiser, you care deeply about changing the world, and you're working hard to make a difference for a cause you're passionate about. And that means you probably also struggle with setting boundaries that protect your energy and time. For today's episode, Richard and I are handing it over to Karen Kendrick, our Senior Director of Learning, and special guest, Anika Allen, founder of the Empathy Agency, for a great conversation on how to prioritize your own needs and find more fulfillment in your work. Welcome to the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group, featuring Richard Perry and Jeff Schreifels. Twice a month, we bring you the latest and best thinking about major gift fundraising, so you can develop authentic relationships with your major donors. Here are your hosts, Richard and Jeff. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Karen Kendrick, and I'm taking over the podcast today while Jeff and Richard take the day off. Fundraising is often seen as sacrificial work. There's a cultural expectation that fundraisers must be willing to do whatever it takes to support the organization's mission, and that they need to do it for a much lower salary than they would get elsewhere. But this culture needs to change. It's time for you to see your value, see your power, and start loving yourself because it is truly the key to more deeply connecting with your donors and supporting your mission, not to mention how it affects the wonderful things in your life as well. And I'm thrilled to have Nika Allen, principal and founder of the Empathy Agency, Inc. as a guest today. Nika, why don't you give our audience a quick introduction before we get started? Thanks so much, Karen. It's wonderful to be with you today and to be with your listeners. My name is Anika Allen, and I am a relationship builder, a stone catcher, a freedom fighter, professional coach, and a storyteller. I am a daughter of the Underground Railroad. I am a sixth-generation Canadian. I'm a mama um, and, a, and a dog lover. I have two doggies, Sophie and Sammy, and uh, I live here in Abbotsford, British Columbia with my daughter and her husband. And we live on the shared tor- the unceded shared territory of the Sumas and Masqui First Nations. And I honor the survival of the indigenous nations on Turtle Island, uh, despite genocide. I recognize the theft and the subjugation of colonization and white supremacy culture that they have endured. And as a forced inhabitant of these beautiful territories myself, I'm challenged to confront the cost of living on this land. And I am truly uh, grateful for the historic relationship that exists between my indigenous and African ancestors. And I'm really glad to be with you today. Thank you, Anika. Stonecatcher, you must tell me what that is before we go forward. Oh, yeah. I, I, I first read that term in the book, Just Mercy. Uh, by Brian Stevenson, um, which is a phenomenal book. It's also has been made into a movie, but I much prefer the book. And um, he is a um, an attorney um, in the South of the United States, and he predominantly defends uh, people who are on death row. Mm-hmm. And so the book is much about that. He's also the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, which is absolutely speak. Yeah, I have two, which is profound. And so in his book, there's a story he tells um, 
uh, he's talking with an older woman and she uses the term stone catcher and, 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 and I won't give the story away, but what it is essentially is a person who's willing to step in front of another to catch mm. the stones that are thrown mm. in their direction. And that imagery very much resonated with, with much of my life and the way I want to be in this world uh, going forward. So Thank you. That's how it made it into my bio. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now you and I share a passion for creating a culture where we are unapologetically loving ourselves and taking care of our needs so we can bring ourselves more fully to our life. But let's start by discussing what we mean by self-love, kind of broadly what that means to us personally. And then later on, we're also going to dive into how that relates to our sector and fundraising. So get us started, Anika. Yeah. So it's interesting as I started to think about, you know, the topic of self-love, the thing that really immediately emerged for me was the work of Bell Hooks. Uh, And I don't know if you've read her book all about love, but that book is transformational and is a constant resource to me. And in that book, she shares a definition of love by M. Scott Peck. And it is really quite transformational in it was transformational in my understanding of of the concept of love or the act of love and he writes love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth Hmm. i think it's important to note here when they're referring to spiritual growth they're not talking about it in the context of religion they're talking about the truest parts of who we are as human beings. And so Bell Hooks goes on to write, when we understand love as the will to nurture our own and another spiritual growth, it becomes clear that we cannot claim to love if we are hurtful mm. or abusive. And so that that definition has really stretched uh, my value of love my understanding of it my the behavior of love and it has really forced me to begin to sort of like wrestle with what does this look like in operation if I'm going to be truly grounded in nurture for myself and for others Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about um you know, so many different faith groups speak about this. And, you know, the piece that actually Jesus did around love others as you love yourself, I don't think Mm -hmm. we really paid that much attention to. Um, And how that, how it's so intertwined, right? That whole piece around loving yourself and loving others. And yes, you know, just this morning, as I walked outside to let my dog out, (laughs) looking at the trees and taking a moment, and then my head goes to all the things I need to do and how I'm not doing all that, the little negative self, you know, talk starts, bringing that back to a breath and what's true Mm. and what's real. I mean, that was being harmful. That was being, that was that, that negativity, that part of us that causes harm to ourselves. So all that we're going to be talking about today is how do we, I, how do we think about love, talk about love? How does it play out in our lives? What gets in the way? And how do we every day in each moment make different choices for ourselves and for those we work with, for our sector? And what yes. are some of the things we can look at? 
Absolutely. in that process. All right. So talk a little bit more about your journey with self-love. What has been impactful, important as you have been looking into this, passionate about it, wanting to grow that part of who you are? Yeah. So love is one of my top two values. So it has this really central feature in my life, even though I, I didn't, I didn't know it was one of my top two values until I did that work. But when I look back retrospectively over the course of my life, I can see how it very much is centered in the way I want to be in the world and the way I just most naturally show up in the world. And I believe love looks like a bunch of different things, right? It's not just warm and fuzzy and hugs and kisses and it can also be truth mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. it can also be boundaries in fact i think it is boundaries right mm -hmm. um i talk about that in a minute yes yes yeah i mean i think i think i may have mentioned to you on on one of our previous conversations that, that Brene brown's definition of boundaries just gives me such a great mental image of, of love in operation. She says, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds sort of straightforward, but when you go to apply that in a circumstance, <laughs> you know, <laughs> The wrestling begins. <laughs> yeah, and I it's think not that, that rest, yeah, and I think that wrestling is is a part of love too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I was recently on um, a six week Sabbath during the month of December and into January, and one of my greatest challenges was maintaining the boundaries I had set for that rest period. And what I noticed was that my issue was really with some dissatisfaction that I was feeling about needing to reassert the boundaries. I felt like I've already said what the boundaries are. I don't wanna say it again because it's uncomfortable. And then I turn to, so I don't understand why aren't they just like abiding by the boundaries that I've set? And, <laughs> and, and so the more I sort of dug into that, right, mm -hmm. I realized it was just my own resistance <clears throat> wanting to just reestablish those boundaries. Like what's wrong with that? What, why not? And so it was, course, a, it was I'm a real not, act of love to do that, to like yes. reassert them, right? To my, towards myself. <laughs> I think a lot of us are sitting around waiting for someone else, not before we even set a boundary to give it, give us that boundary, right. To give us that peace we want to give us that space we need or whatever it might be. Like somehow we're waiting for someone else to do it for us. Yeah. So then we finally learn to do it, to set some boundaries. Then it's learning that it's not a, like a one time said deal. And it may be yeah. that in one situation, it, this is a boundary you want to set. In a similar situation, you have a different boundary. It, it's movable. Remember learning with my kids, I have three kids who are adults. 
And they've learned that, you know, there's no guarantee. You ask mom for something, she checks in with her intuition. She may or not comply. And then I finally learned, I don't have to figure out all the possible things and set up my, my black and white strategy and do's and don'ts. And then the tough thing is learning to then understand, I guess I love, I love that the wrestling of, you know, every, everybody else has their issues they want solved too. So if they're pushing back again, it's not necessarily even personal. So it's, it's an act of self-love and a love toward them too, because if you don't do that, then what, where's your relationship going to go, right? If you comply and you're pissed. So that wrestling with reasserting your boundary again, clearly, and in a grounded way, um, versus how I used to do, which is no boundaries. Then I'd finally get to a point where (laughs) I would be like, I set a boundary like, you know, I've just gone to war. Um, yeah, very overdramatic. So I think learning that to do it more often, yeah. sooner, more from a grounded, clear space, come back to that is is quite a it's a practice, right? It's something you have it to is. To and it really too. challenged, you know, me to think about what assumptions was I do I hold around this notion of respecting boundaries, right? or just abiding by boundaries. I had a bunch of assumptions about, about that, what that looks like. You put it down once you're good, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then it, it, it's no longer an issue. When in reality, like you said, I think that the frequency with which you're able to reiterate those boundaries and understanding that those boundaries are, are, are can also be fluid mm-hmm. depending on what's happening, right? You may again, it's the distance at which that I, I can love you and me simultaneously. And so we're not the same person today as we are tomorrow and the next day. Right. And so there's like the, that reassessment, I think that needs to happen. And in order to reassess, you have to be present with yourself, which I think is an act of love towards oneself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that learning to be present with myself was for me, the biggest impactful thing in my journey. I think, cause I was, I started the journey of like counseling, women's groups, all kinds of things. Cause I lived very anxious inside all the time, guilty mm. and anxious. I was brought up to be a good girl, to be cooperative, to be nice, all those things. Right. And I think there's a lot of women fundraisers we, who may have experienced that way of growing up. And sure. so I was like, wow, I live so anxious. Right. Um, and I was doing a training years ago. I've told this story before, but with a colleague of mine, and it was tough. It was about race, gender, um, LGBTQ issues and corporate settings. And I asked my colleague who'd done a lot of trainings with me, I'm like, Hassan, how do I come across in training thinking I'm going to get a compliment? I thought I was pretty good. He's like, you're kind of an ice queen. I was like, me an ice queen? Well, it was beginning of me understanding I was not in my body. I was checked out because I'm so in tune with people. I'm so sensitive that anxiety I felt all the time was partially mine, partially everybody else's. And so learning that who I am as a person, how my system works and doing more body centered somatic work. Yeah. I work with horses. I mean, all of that to really tune into how do I stay in my body, stay present and know what's happening and tune in was a huge part of being able to, for me, my superpower is my heart. And it's very mm-hmm. courageous, right? Mm-hmm. But I couldn't be in that space when I wasn't present in my own body. <laughs> so yes. that was a huge shift for me, huge shift. Then I can listen to my intuition. I can mm-hmm. get a lot of information. Yeah. Made a big yeah. Difference. I, I, I found slowing down 
just slowing things right down is the primary game changer for me because the things that I can hear mm-hmm. fundamentally change when I allow time to bend. So what does that look like? Let's talk about that. So we're, um, and we'll get to our sector in just a minute, but you're, you're getting, you've got a work thing coming up. Maybe it has some energy around it. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you use time to help you bring in your intuition, your wisdom? What's that look so, like? So, you know, I believe that as humans, we are powerful beyond belief. I believe when we step into spaces, we influence those spaces, whether we are aware of it or not. And so I have committed myself to stepping into spaces and being who I am, which is, you know, a black indigenous woman. And that alone will frustrate a white dominant society. And so that act of just stepping into the space and being me, who I am, suspending the expectation to assimilate Mm. is the first act of self-love for me. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in spaces where I am either coaching or facilitating. So I have a measure of power in the space. And so I am always asking myself, how can everyone be powerful? Mm. And so, and I let the answer to that in any given situation begin to inform the way I design space and time with people. And so I use, so, you know, when I'm creating a space, I am doing deliberate things to frustrate white supremacist culture, which is very rigid and which is absolutely time bound and which does not value, it does not value who we are. It's more interested in what we can produce. Mm. And so I use music to start with music so that we can get into our bodies, hopefully harmonize our bodies. We spend, I spend time talking about how we will work together versus what we're going to do. I check in with people and ask them, and I also answer, you know, what do you need right now to feel seen and heard? So that we can actually locate what is real for people in that moment so we can meet them there. And I find when we begin with just those three things, those are just three examples, we have, we, we begin to slow time down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, giving permission to go slow. I was in, I was in a, I was facilitating a session just yesterday and it was at, it was uh, the, the group uh, were in Toronto And so it was the end of their day and they showed up in session and I was playing a little Marvin Gaye. (laughs) And I I heard a little bit of like, "Hmm." like I could, you know, there was like these, Uh these responses that just, 
And, and we just let the song play. We didn't talk. We just let the song play. But I could tell by the expressions on the face, something something was happening, like something had happened or was happening. And, and as facilitators, me and my co-facilitator, we didn't know what, what was necessarily going on. But that's the real beauty of that question. What do you need right now to feel seen and heard? Because what we immediately learned was that this whole group of leaders had just come out of back-to-back meetings. Hmm. They were landing in this session where they needed to like imagine a new way forward. Hmm. And... They were all saying in some way, shape or form, I don't really have the energy to like step into this space. And so they were like, I don't know, like we're here, but I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because we gave them permission to just slow it right down, they ended up producing some really creative work. And and <laughs> and, and on exiting, some of them were saying they felt energized. Uh. So that's just an example of what it, what it could look like, you know, in practice. Yes, I've seen you do that with us. A group of us at Veritas have joined the incredible Collecting Courage new training, um, helping us really dive into uh, diversity and equity issues in our sector. And that's how you really started with us is to be slow us down, get us present with how we want to be together. And I think about how our culture, you know, our, the white supremacy culture, our culture, yeah. my culture has been um, all about getting the most done the least bit of time and thinking it's always the most efficient way mm-hmm. um, and treating us like machines in our system, in our sector. You know, you're going to get there in time. You're going to work all day. It's going to be straight. You're going to be productive. And when we're not feeling that we are, we're always beating ourselves up. We feel badly. We're not doing enough an exhaustion of just even believing that and then always beating yourself up for not delivering yeah and how what you just the story you just told of shifting into that different gear of connecting to ourselves to each other to what we need then allows the space for that and I feel like our intuition just hooks into like everything in the whole universe <laughs> yeah so like I got a, co- a great computer right there whenever I need it in the sense you know like the guy who discovered you know invented the car or whatever he was just walking to the park and the whole thing came to him you know I think it's kind of interesting right we need that space for that wisdom to come through um so, so I thank you for I know you do that because I'm experiencing it in your incredible training um so ha- let's talk about how all this relates to our sector so we've we you and I've talked a little bit about our journey. Mm-hmm. You know, our sector is supposed to be about love, right? Helping the mm-hmm. world, the universe, the planet, the animals to making a difference. We think it's about love. Um, yeah. And then what happens, Anika? What happens in our sector? Mm-hmm. Well, when we don't understand that love is a verb and it's an act, mm-hmm. we turn it into all sorts of other things that are transactional. I would I would say too often in our sector we 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 forfeit the relational for the transactional. What you just described is an example of that too, right? This notion of we want you to work like a machine, right? And the relational is not is not a one-way relationship. It is a reciprocal thing. It's a it's in its relationship with self and its relationship with others. And so if you have to forfeit all of that in order 
to show up and do our work in a way that, you know, is expected. Mm-hmm. How can we bring love? Mm. You know, I would say that, you know, the concept or the act of love is incongruent with transactions. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't know if we would ever put those terms together in a sentence. Right. But when we think about relationship, mm-hmm. love since very central. So the question that can't, can't, comes up for me when I hear that is, well, who does our sector love? Because they don't love everyone. I <laughs> love that question. Ooh, who does our sector love? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to my mind is we, we, I'll include, you know, myself in this sector, we love the idea mm-hmm. that we're doing good. We love the idea that we're doing good. Hmm. We're not necessarily loving those we serve. Many times we're victimizing or exploiting, exploiting. We're not loving our fundraisers and our team members. We're expecting them to work more 70 hour weeks, cover many jobs. That's right. No money. That's right. We're not many times loving our donors because we're not in relationship with them. We're treating Mm -hmm. them transactionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We, we, we determine their worth based on how much money they have. Mm Mm-hmm. Or even then, even if they do have a lot of money, we're treating them transactionally. They're ATM machines versus mm-hmm. a relationship with a human. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're loving anybody. Are we loving anybody? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> we're loving an idea, maybe. We're That's loving, an, yeah, we're loving an, an, an idea. And that for me is tremendously challenging when you think about the role and purpose of our sector. which is really about social change, right? Social change, not just for the sake of change, but social change so that people can thrive, so that people can belong, so that people can be loved. Yes, yes. You know, the relationship between love and belonging is a fascinating one, right? Mm -hmm. We need belonging just as much as we need love as human beings. Our need for them is, is... equally as deep mm-hmm. yes and and i think about relationships i've been in or work set, settings i've been in where i don't feel like i have i can show up as my authentic self i don't feel belonging and my the love of myself and the love of others and the gifts i bring they don't happen mm-hmm. they don't happen where like right now i'm in a workplace <laughs> And the place in life where there is belonging, there is love for self, and there is a space for me to bring myself fully, whether that's in wrestling with difficult conversations or whatever that might be, there's space for that and allowance for that. So there's what you gain from everyone learning to come to the table and belong and bring their full selves is incredible. It's incredible. And so if you compare sort of the quality of the work that you were able to do in either one of those circumstances, mm-hmm. like what, like what, like what's the marked difference that you can identify? Um, previous, it was fear-based. It was mm-hmm. small thinking. 
I was in fight and flight. Um, there was not an ability to think broadly or creatively or outside the box or be excited and build great partnerships or it was small-minded thinking protective. Well, I believe the opposite of love is fear. And you said fear-based thinking, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I think that a lot of people in the sector work from a place of fear. I know oh, yeah. fear was a central feature mm-hmm. of my fundraising career, mm-hmm. namely because I was the only black woman, black person in every organization that I had worked for with the exception of the first place where I worked at the, at the um, museum I write about in Collecting Courage. And, you know, that is no way to live and to be in the world. And so if, if we're coming from a place of fear, then love, there's no room for love. Yeah. Like real love, you know, Mm -hmm. the love, like I described at the beginning, Mm-hmm. That's nurturing of one's own self and of the other, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm listening to this podcast and I'm a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I'm not working in a place that I feel like in bountiful ways creates that opportunity for me in the very least. So what are some things that I can take away that I can think about that I can process for myself from this conversation? And I'm not trying to end us out yet, but I'm just thinking about, okay, so mm-hmm. we just talked about how there ain't love. <laughs> there ain't no love. <laughs> so as I'm thinking about myself as a fundraiser in that place of fear, what choices? Yeah. Where do I have power? Where do I have control? What do I have? Where do I have choices, Anika? So one of the things that um, our collective, the Black Canadian Fundraisers Collective, spend a lot of time talking about with our members is our autonomy mm. and really understanding that we we have choice and we have voice. And I think I think that's the first thing to recognize and to accept is that you're not stuck Hmm. and you can choose differently. And so if you're in an organization that you feel is harming you, I say, leave, Mm -hmm. take the steps that you need to take to leave, do that in community with people who care for you and, and, and can care with you through that process. If you're in an organization and you think, you know, there's some work that can be done, if you have some um, allies or co-conspirators in your in your network that can come alongside you to maybe help the organization see another way, mm-hmm. again, don't do that alone. Yeah. You need community with you to do that. Um, But in every scenario, whether you leave, stay, choose to challenge the organization to to another way of of being, I think think the most liberating 
part is the simplest part, which is you have autonomy and you have choice. And so as you begin to contemplate maybe some of the things that we've shared here about what love is and, you know, how love behaves and, you know, how that might show up in, in a workspace, you can use that information to determine what next organization you want to be in, right? You now have you can you can begin to articulate and and really define the sort of environment that would invite your truest self to contribute and to and to be right mm-hmm. to just to be in the space um, or in the organization, and so that that's my that's feedback that I give frequently to members of our collective, you have choice and you have voice, your autonomy is yours and you can do something with it. And we are here as a community to support that. So if you tell us what that is, we'll go with you. Mm -hmm. I love the autonomy piece. And I know for me, a big learning was before I would see leaders in power. So I would just tell them, I, I have this problem. I'm working too many things, too many hours, maybe complain about it a couple of times, hope mm-hmm. that they do something about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, having autonomy and, and stepping into having my own power would be how I would do that differently. What I've learned is let me list all the things I'm being pulled into and doing. Let me list the percentage of time they're taking. Let me show how much time that actually allows for me for fundraising. Yes. And how that only would allow this percentage of my goal and you know, come to a leader with a really clear picture of what's happening and a solution. Mm-hmm. To me, that's learning to have autonomy to come. And now, if the leader then is like, "I don't care, tough cookie," then you know, I need to get, I need to get out of here right now. Yes, one <laughs> a lot of times leaders are just overwhelmed and scared and running. And they're not, and they don't know how to solve problems either. So, learning also to have that voice, yes, and, and give it a whirl. In a yes. way that gives a leader an easy way to, to you know, support you. And get, doing that with others in support as well is really You, you raise a great point around communication. Our ability to communicate with one another, I think, is an is a, is a important companion to our ability to love ourselves and to, and to love others. Um, and, and, and I think we should always be asking ourselves, you know, have I communicated clearly mm-hmm. what I need? Yeah. And, and, or what I want in this circumstance. Right. And that does require some of that reflective work that you were just describing, which is here are all the things that are going on for me. Here's the percentage of time. I understand that my priority is fundraising that I, I I see there's some incongruence here and I'm wondering what you see, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you can bring curiosity to that uh, with your leader. But you first have to do some of that reflective work to really see, okay, what is what what is on my plate? What is happening? What is leading to this experience that I'm having? Absolutely. So I want to come back later to what are some some of the questions I can ask if I go into a, a new job, <laughs> an just interesting new location to find out if this will be an environment of love. Mm-hmm. But let's let's go back just for a minute to all right. So in my daily life and work, as I'm wanting to practice more self-love as a fundraiser, 
in mm-hmm. my work. Um, help me a little bit with how, what does that look like? How am I on a daily, in a daily way, wanting to grow and develop my self-love, my ability to set boundaries, whatever all that includes? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's going to sound repetitive. I think the slowing down. Mm-hmm. So you can listen to your body. So you can listen to what you need is really quite central. I can remember, you know, early in my career um, and I was a young mom and my mornings were really a Bronco ride. Like, <laughs> if, like by the time I got in my car, I felt like I had achieved something just because like I had overcome all the things, like, you know, alarm goes off, you hit the alarm, jump in the showers, it's just like, go, 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 go. Did I get in the car in the right time? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, success. <laughs> and, you know, if you do that enough yes. uh, and for a long enough period of time, you know what the result is. Yes. And um, I can remember, you know, my daughter's, my daughter's father's mother. So my, so my ex's mother saying one time, I need my mornings to be slow. So I just, um, I get up a little bit earlier and I come downstairs and I make some coffee and she just started to describe like mm-hmm. how she just sits with herself and de- like, just, I don't even remember all the details of what she said, but I remember thinking, huh, I wonder what that would be like. Like, and then I started thinking, so what would I have to do to rearrange my life in order to do some of that? Mm-hmm. And I just started from where I was and it may have been, you know, 30 minutes because of how my, you know, what was going mm-hmm. on in my life, but it completely changed how I was like showing up to yes. work. Yes. Right now I would say I'm, you know, I spend an hour to an hour and a half by myself doing all kinds of fun things in the morning, mm-hmm. um, just so that I can check in with me and, and, and think about my day and be really intentional about the things that are coming up sensing. Okay. So I have this thing I'm getting ready to do today. Where am I at? Mm-hmm. What might I need so I can get more ready, you know, or just be more of my truest self when I show up into that space. And so I would say that's probably the number one thing that, that I changed that had a tremendous impact on just how I was in my work. I mean, our work is so focused on relationships and being, mm-hmm. right? And so while we might be showing up and saying all the right words, what are people feeling? Yeah. Not just within themselves, but feeling from you, mm-hmm. right? And so I believe settled bodies settle bodies. And my predisposition is not to be that way. <laughs> it is it is to like get the thing done. It's get it done kind of lady. <laughs> I am. And so it's been a lot of practice to, to value mm-hmm. being right over doing mm-hmm. and allowing that to really shape how I organize my life and my work. And so I would say, how can you begin, how can you prioritize you at the top of your day? 
And it could be small. It could be in small ways. Like I can remember, you know, doing all little things for myself at points in my life where I just was, you know, motherhood was overwhelming and mm -hmm. you know, the job was overwhelming and just so many things going on. But I, if I could just do like one or two little things that I know that were just for me, right? It began exactly. to give me that space to have a little delight, a little joy. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, and it, um, it changes you. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I just wrote a blog series. I, I love this whole article around you. You, you, you can't, you, you can control how much energy you have, but not how much time, time is sort of set, but you can curve time if you develop your energy. It seems like you have more time. You can. You get more you done if you Absolutely. do less. <laughs> so that's exactly right. And uh, but then, and then, oftentimes it's the permission to do less. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it all. And they did all these. As they taught people to do what you were just saying, spend some time in the morning every ninety minutes, take a break, go for a walk, take get a breather, get outside. You know, just do. Our bodies are in these rhythm, natural rhythms, and yeah. to allow these breaks for. And make sure that we're building space mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you know, in all yes. those areas and how much more energy would we then have to then be more, really more productive because we're more focused yes. and yes. smaller chunks of time. So, um, it is so powerful to take that moment when I start feeling tight and frustrated, I used to just push myself more. And mm -hmm. now it's like, oh, I'm, I need to really step back and do something different and get a different perspective because this space is not going to be, it's not loving myself or anybody else. Right. That's, that's exactly right. Um, what I hear you describing is margin. So, you know, how do we design our lives with margin? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're not incentivized to do that. No. But it's, but I believe that designing your life that way is an act of loving yourself because things occur, things pop up and you want to be available to them. You know, um, I can remember really being focused on wanting to be present for my daughter whenever she showed up with, with, you know, something going on. I wanted to be able to be present and that require that doesn't come from a vacuous place. You have to actually have a reservoir right? Um, to, uh -huh. to do that. And so, okay, what fills the reservoir? And so I think I mentioned to you in our recent, in one of our recent conversations that I'm pursuing softness, like how can I invite more softness into my life? And I don't know what that looks like in tangible ways. I'm sort of, you know, discovering it as I go. And one of the, and, and the way I'm discovering it is more through questions than answers. Um, but the questions are really curious. So one of the questions that occurred to me as I was sitting in my uh, my living room, looking out onto the trees and mountains, uh, I've, one of my one of my dogs was playing on the floor, and he often will come over to me and you know paw me when I'm doing things. And we've been trying to teach him, you know, off. And I thought, well, what would change for me if I was able to give him two minutes every time mm -hmm. he pawed me? Like if I could just pause what I'm doing, turn and engage in that moment, which is always, you know, delicious. 
right? It's just so sweet. And then come back to the thing that I'm doing, you know, that's okay. So what do I have to do so Um, that I can, I can do that just, you know, as a, as a query. And so margin is one of the ways, right? Don't crack, don't pack, don't pack your schedule, Anika, to the mm-hmm. point where if if my daughter knocks on the door and has to ask me a question that I, I, I can't deal, I can't deal, I know I have to talk to you later. Or when the dog comes over and just wants a little snuggle, I can't <laughs> indulge, right? Yes. Just as two sort of common, I think, experiences that people might have. Mm-hmm. My little dog Polo, who's sleeping right now, will appreciate that one. <laughs> we'll start practicing that with him, and they probably do it when we probably need a break. Um, so, well, this is the other thing because they can sense, you know, what's happening for us, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for pet lovers, I think pet lovers would agree. We have things to learn from animals and the environment the inanimate world there there are lessons there for us and so how do we how what posture do we need to take in order to receive those messages and I think that posture has a lot to do with loving ourselves yeah I teach leadership training using horses when I would go into my horse's stall to take her to go do fun things I'd hold up her halter and she would just look at me and walk away <laughs> like, girl, you are way too much. You need to get yourself <laughs> together. And I would have to stop and tune in. Sometimes I would have tears, whatever was going on for me. I needed to like be with, and I'd look yeah. at her like, she kind of like, not yet. <laughs> not and then when yet. I had gotten more present and then she'd come right over and we could go play. So um, I love all that's other humans and animals and all that help us as our like our litmus test right of how we're showing up in our more soft ways so i want to wrap this up and this has been such a great conversation i do want to ask you um before we talk about sort of final final words of wisdom if i'm interviewing in an organization and i'm wanting to find a place Mm. that have that can show up and be my authentic self practice self-love and love of others what would I be looking for or asking in my interview process? So, so two things. One, if you want to know if an organization is going to be open to your truest self, show up in that interview as your truest self. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No substitute for that right there, right? <laughs> yeah. Tro- uh-huh. Show up as your truest self in the interview. I, I would also recommend that everyone should know what their top two values are, but not just the values, the behaviors that support the values. Like what does, what does it look like in operation? Because you need to be able to connect what's really important to you personally to what's really important to the organization. Mm -hmm. And so every organization has values very frequently do those organizations tether behaviors to those values. But what you can do is you can begin to ask them about what those values that they espouse look like in action. 
that's a really great way to begin to um, get a sense for whether or not they're living their values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You should be able to get a sense of culture, at least a peek into culture from, from their response. And I think more than anything, if you are seeking to align your values with the organizational values and you're asking those sorts of questions, you have to, and I think this is the hardest part, trust your instinct. Mm -hmm. What is your instinct telling you about that experience, that organization as it was presented to you in the interview? Mm -hmm. And honor that. Because someone can be saying all the right things, but inside you're like the dog going, something is not matching up. So if they're incongruent, someone's incongruent, what they're saying is not really what they believe or do. You, They will give you that uneasy feeling. They will. Ask them for examples too. So when they say this is what the behaviors look like, can you give me an example of that? Like, what does that look like? Can you tell me a time where you've really embodied Mm -hmm. that? Ask them Mm -hmm. for examples. When, when you get into storytelling, now we know this to be absolutely true because when we watch movies that don't ring true to us, how do we know that? When we hear stories that people tell me like, I don't know if I, I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. When they start to tell the story of how those values show up in their organization, you will be able to get a read on, if you're listening, on whether or not that's believable. It's hard to make up a good story, like a real authentic story in, in, in the moment. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so beneficial. Those are really clear steps to use and take. All right. So let's, what do you want someone to walk away with today, Anika? You said so many beautiful things. This has been incredible. Um, Mm. what's a parting piece that you want to either say again or add to what you've shared already I I do have an idea it's do you mind if it's not my words not at all this is what comes up for me and this is from the nap ministry who I adore yes yes softness is available to us care is available to us rest is available to us Mm. intimacy is available to us community is available to us sleep is available to us justice is available to us and pleasure is available to us Mm, that's really really beautiful thank you so much for reading that that was beautiful it was just perfect Thank you. So to close us out, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, Anika. This has been an incredible conversation and I hope it's inspired you to invest a bit more. I hope a lot more in loving yourself. And I want, if you want to connect more with the work Anika is doing at the empathy agency, you can click on the link to check out her website in the episode description. And if you want to learn more about how Veritas Group can support you in creating better balance and a healthier and healthier boundaries to help you find more joy and love in your work, we'd love to connect with you. You can reach out to us at the link in the episode description or by emailing us at hello at veritasgroup.com. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for joining us for the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group. 
Richard and Jeff also write an ongoing blog that you can subscribe to for free at VeritasGroup.com. Please join us again next time.